You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Phil Nelson. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Thank you, worship team. That was an incredible song. If you would turn to your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have your Bibles, you may have a phone with a Bible app. Go ahead and turn to that. We are going to stay in Matthew 5 while jumping around to other scriptures. But if you go to Matthew 5, I promise you we'll continue to come back to that. I'd like to just open by reading the Beatitudes we've been covering for the last five five to seven weeks. And I'd like for us just to be refreshed on what Jesus is telling us, what our lives must look like. Friends, this is one of the hardest things for us to understand. But these beatitudes, meaning being the attitude of Jesus, being the attitude of Jesus. We know this fill and flow concept. We're filled with the attitude of Christ when he redeems us. We're filled with his pure heart and mercy and peace, but it has to flow out of us for others to see the fruit. These beatitudes, friends, are not optional. They are not multiple choice. They are not, oh, I need to go home and pray about these if I should put these in my life. These are requirements that Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross. What's the cross? It's the sacrifice of carrying the Beatitudes. That's your cross, is the attitude and living out that attitude of Christ. So let's look at the, the passage here, there's some bleeding off on the words on the screen, so I, I apologize. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Do me a favor. You're going to be, probably be quiet for a little bit and listening. I would love for you to read the yellow words with me. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, gentle, humble, lowly at heart, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are, for they shall see God. Blessed are the, for they shall be called the sons of God. Last week, we gave a different kind of description of the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are these eight radical, radical red-lettered words of Jesus. These are eight radical attitudes and declarations of the kingdom living. Kingdom living means that if you are born again in Christ, you belong to the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. And so you are supposed to be living in this world, not of it, living out the kingdom. 
So when we take these eight radical attitudes, declarations, ways of living on kingdom living, resulting in contentment and spiritual growth in the midst of chaos. If I asked you, and you, you, can, you don't have to answer out loud, but if I asked you, what should the church, according to scripture, what should the church of Jesus Christ be marked by, by people on the outside? Most of you, like myself, would say love, right? Love. And I would agree with that. But what they want to see consistently is contentment and spiritual growth in the midst of everything else becoming chaos in your world. You see, love is a byproduct and happens when you're growing spiritually in Christ. Contentment happens when you receive the attitudes of Christ and allow yourself to put to death any attitude that is not of Christ. That's where we get contentment. Jesus says, in this world, you will face many trials and sufferings and tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. That's contentment. The apostle Paul says, I've learned to be content with much and with nothing, for I've been crucified with Christ. It's not I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. That's contentment and spiritual growth. Now, I want you to see, before we go to the eighth beatitude, and this is really important from launching forward into this eighth beatitude is we need to understand that the first seven, can you go back to Matthew five? The first seven, poor in spirit, mourning, the gentle, hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers. They all have to do with what you do because of who you are. You take in the attitude of Christ. You grow into the knowledge and the image of Christ and you're transformed into looking more and more and more and more like Jesus. So it's about what you do really, but out of the abundance of the heart, everything else flows, right? So are you with me that it's about what we do, how we live our life? The eighth one actually has to do with what is done to you when you're living out the seven. When you're living and breathing and growing, not perfect, but growing into the seven beatitudes of Christ. The eighth beatitude is a promise from Jesus that will happen to you when you live this way. You ready for it? Let's go. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Sadly, some of you, maybe even many of you, have never heard this taught in a church setting before. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those, are you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of word of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. I think that doesn't fit there. 
Ernie, did you put in another scripture in there? I don't think it fits. But yes, these are the words of Jesus. It's in every Bible translation. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The first seven is about who we are and what we do. The eighth one is marked and is an identifier of you living out the attitudes of Christ. And that is that you will be persecuted. Time out. I have to be honest with you and I have to share some important points before we get forward, uh, before we move forward. I've experienced much spiritual warfare this past week because the enemy does not want this message to go forth. You can even hear it in my voice this morning I woke up and I said, not today, Satan. (laughs) He doesn't want us to hear this. And even more, he doesn't want us to live this out. This is going to be a very difficult message for most of you. It was for me and it is for me but it is the radical words of Jesus and how the church of Christ is supposed to live and respond to a dying world that is drifting further and further from biblical truths. If you are a person of prayer and you intercede on behalf of people, I'm asking you right where you're at or at home to pray for me. Pray that the word would boldly be preached. Pray that any hindrance, physical, emotional, or spiritual, or mental, would be pushed away in Jesus' name. Pray for me. And then pray for those around you that they would receive this word and it would not just be information, but transformation. Hmm. Many churches... I've always heard this from a coach of mine. He said, you wanna know what God is speaking to the church as a whole? Start listening to messages from other pastors in your area and around the country and start to find the similarities and that is really where God is speaking. Do you know? Have fun with it. Go on different churches and just see if they're preaching and teaching a little bit about this, about how we respond and live as growing Christians in a chaotic world. I believe that that is the message that the Lord is calling us as a body to wake up before it's too late. I've read the, red, uh, the end of the book, by the way, of the Bible, and we win. We win. However it is going to get way worse than it does get better. And if we are living a life of luxury and comfortability and status and financial possessions, we will miss the boat of all that God has to bring his kingdom in and through you and me. So this is where I'm encouraged by this message because I believe that God is gonna do a work in our heart. I wanna give credit to some of these quotes and some of the content to um, Hope Church in Las Vegas. Um, Pastor Vance there, they did a series in the fall very much like this. And so I wanna give credit where credit's due. So let's look at John 
chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. Put a thumb in or hold Matthew 5 and jump to John 15. Now remember, the first seven is what it looks like when we grow up in Christ and the attitudes are not only being filled in our lives, it's flowing out. And then the last one, this one, describes what we will experience as we live out Christ. John 15 says this, Jesus speaking, if the world hates you, and it will, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This is hard for especially people who want to please others. You need to draw a line in the sand of who you're going to please. So I wanna ask you two questions today. And I'm gonna do my very best to just preach my guts out to you. Because let me tell you, these last eight to nine weeks, Jesus has been pouring his guts out into me. I got a long ways to go. (laughs) The first question is this, that we're gonna answer today, and hopefully clearly and biblically. What is persecution? We need to understand as Christians that persecution is coming, is here, and what it is, what it looks like, what it's not. Secondly, we're gonna look at how Christians should respond. If you call yourself a Christian, meaning that you have been born of Christ, you have been made right with God because of Jesus' death on the cross, then you are given a Christ standard of how you are to respond in chaos and persecution. So let's look at the first question. What is persecution? A quick definition is to run after, to chase after, very much like peacemakers. A peacemaker, the the root word of that was to chase after peace. This one is chasing after, but it's you. It's hostility and retaliation being sought to attack and chased after you. It's real. It's real. So what I want to do now is define what persecution is not so that we have a clear understanding as we move forward. Persecution is not being on the losing end of an election regardless of who winds up winning. That's not persecution. Persecution is not getting criticized or made fun of because of the Christian shirts you wear or the bumper stickers you have all over your vehicle. Now, don't get me wrong, it can lead to persecution, but persecution isn't just putting the Christian label and having people look negatively on you. What's on the outside of your vehicle and what's on the outside of your body has nothing to do with what's on the inside of who you identify your life with. Being unfollowed 
or ridiculed on social media for posting too many scriptures. It's not necessarily persecution. Being unfriended by people who don't want to hear the name Jesus is not necessarily persecution. Persecution is not self-inflicted hardship because you've been arrogant or judging or shoving the Bible down someone's throat. Jesus said to speak the truth in love. Going around and judging others and pointing the finger and kicking dirt and dust up at the sinners is not living a life of being a peacemaker and a son or daughter of the living God. Yet we have a standard to live by. Persecution is not being confronted over an area of sin in our lives. That's called accountability. Especially the sin that we don't want to confess to. So what I want to do is I want to lay out three parts of the definition of persecution. Please don't tune me out or think that I've missed something until we do all three. They build on each other. The first one in order to understand persecution is suffering for Christ. Suffering for the sake of righteousness. So let's look at that. It says it right there in Matthew 5, but let's look at that. Suffering for Christ because of righteousness sake. What that means is you are being persecuted and you suffer for identifying and living out the attitude of Christ because of your right standing with God. Righteousness means right standing with God. So if you have right standing with God because of Jesus and only Jesus, by grace you've been saved, then you are going to be persecuted. When you, like last week we talked that we were, we were God's appeal in and through us for the world to say, come on back to Jesus. When we make that appeal and we allow God to live in and through us, we will be persecuted. The second part of this is you will be persecuted because of Jesus that you claim as Lord of your life. Not just savior who gives you a free ticket in heaven and you get to escape the flames of hell. It's not that at all. He gives you right standing with God. We suffer for Christ because of Jesus. Jesus said, rejection is not about you. When you are rejected, it's not about you. Have you ever at work, someone say a cruel statement and say, don't take it personally, right? But Jesus is saying, don't take it personally. They're rejecting me, not you. And so friends, there is an encouraging takeaway there. If you are being rejected by friends that you love dearly and even family members because you are claiming that you are new in Christ, that is an indicator 
that you are living out the righteousness of God. If you're not being rejected or looked at or criticized, you may need to look at your life in a mirror and ask, are they seeing Jesus or are they seeing themselves in the world? So we suffer for Christ because of righteousness sake and because of Jesus. Number two, we suffer physically. We don't really understand the gravity, the, the gravity and the weight of this principle. Unfortunately, it will come, hopefully not for a very long time in our day, but we need to think about the generations we're raising up. Are they ready to face persecution? We suffer for Christ physically. I want you to know, you know, a lot of people have done the DNA and ancestral DNA. I've done it. And uh, it's really cool to see your families for generations prior to you. You see, the Bible is this incredible history of your spiritual DNA family, of what they went through to preserve the faith that you and I confess. Let's just take a look at it. In Hebrews 12, verse 36. Ready? This is real. This is what they went through. Your spiritual great, 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 great grandparents. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned by stones, by the way. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats to hide. Destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves, running for their lives. Same people, same, same physical makeup. They read the same Bible. They knew the same Jesus. They worship to similar songs. And yet day in and day out, they're willing to lay their life on the line for the sake of Jesus and others knowing him. I want us to look at Jesus's disciples with the exception of Judas. Every single disciple was murdered and killed for the sake of Jesus. Every one of them. Six of them, Peter, Andrew, Thaddeus, Philip, Simon, Bartholomew, all crucified for bearing the name of Jesus. Peter, the one who rejected his savior, crucified. If that doesn't tell you of the life change and the true gospel of Jesus, then I don't know what will. James, the son of Zebedee, beheaded. John the Baptist was preaching the gospel and he was beheaded in Jesus's time. James, the son of Alphaeus, was beaten and stoned to death. Matthew and Thomas ran through with a spear. John the beloved banished into exile, dying of natural causes, but alone, completely exiled to die for teaching the gospel of Jesus. 
The apostle Paul, who was part of the persecution of Christians, was there when they stoned Stephen, was changed by meeting Jesus face to face. And he lived a life building the church of God and reaching the Gentiles, the lost, the non-Jews. And once he got to Rome and finished out his ministry, they sliced his head off. We say, well, that's ancient history. That's biblical times. That's not happening right now today. Want to bet? And I have facts to prove it. According to the Open Door Ministry, which protects and preserves and supports persecuted churches in the world. In 2020, I know we're in 21, but a full year's worth, 2020, I want to share some numbers with you. I'm going to try to get through this. First number is 340 million. I didn't add extra zeros. 340 million represents Christians 2020 living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. The next number, 4,488. That represents the number of buildings, churches, and sanctuaries that have been attacked, burnt down, or completely destroyed for teaching Jesus. This last year, we live in a bubble, people. Next number, 4,277 believers detained without trial, arrested, and sentenced or imprisoned just for living a life that follows and models Jesus. And the last number, 4,761 in 2020 have been murdered for proclaiming and not silencing the name of Jesus. That, my friends, is 13 per day. And we're worried about COVID? And we're worried about what our government is doing now. I'll get to that. But guys, the devil wants to blind our eyes and not see what's coming. Because if we don't see it coming, we won't be ready. So we suffer for Christ, we also suffer physically. And number three, we suffer for Christ physically, emotionally, and I know there's another emotionally there, but it's supposed to be mentally. We suffer mentally and emotionally, and some of you Christians are experiencing that. Most of us are not facing physical persecution today. Thank you, by the way, to all our men and women who've served in the armed forces to protect that freedom we hold dear. Amen? I just want to applaud them. Yes, we fight for the freedoms we have, but when they're stripped away, what do you have? 
Christ. For I proclaim not to teach anything but the name of Jesus and the gospel that saves. Paul says, I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus for it has the power to save and to heal. Friends, when we begin to live out these attitudes of Jesus, we will face persecution and Jesus promises it, he warns us and he encourages us about it. As our nation begins to drift further and further from the biblical worldview and the more we speak the truth, drenched in love, the more we will experience persecution. But friends, I have good news. You may not see it as good news, but I have good news. God is going to purify his church. When persecution ever comes in a community of believers, God always releases his purity in their, in, in their bodies, their mind, their spirit, and he releases his power to raise up the church. Make no mistake, God is purifying his bride. And when persecution comes, there is going to be a sifting, friends. There's gonna be people who are here right now loving Jesus, wanting to follow Jesus. But at the risk of losing my life, at the risk of losing my son and daughter and my spouse, this isn't what I'm about. Jesus said he's gonna purify his church and the remnant, the people who are wholeheartedly devoted and pure in Christ, we will see revival like we haven't seen before. But it's gonna cost you. It's gonna cost you. That's why this message isn't a feel-good message, <laughs> but it's needed and it's necessary. So we suffer for Christ suffer physically and we suffer emotionally, physically and mentally. Blessed are those, Matthew 5, who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Put on Matthew 5, please. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. You know what that means? That means blessed are you when you are ridiculed and shamed into silence. When they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, when they tell lies about you in wicked and devious ways. People of this world who hate you because of Jesus will spread lies at work about you, when you're coaching a sports team, when you're teaching at school and you're just loving them. They don't like you and they will raise false accusations against you. Are you ready for that? Because those who live out Christ will be hated by the world. Sadly, we lead a bunch of churches who look like the world and proclaim another truth. This doesn't get easier, friends. I got a little bit more left, but we need to hear it. We need to hear it. Be 
not mistaken. Be not mistaken. Here it comes. When we as believers continue to stand for God's word and his truth of what it says about human life, whether it's life in the womb of a mother, life of a man or woman being mistreated and discriminated by the color of their skin or a police officer or law enforcement trying to protect and preserve the communities, when we stand up for what Jesus says about human life, we will be persecuted. We will be. Because we have a shifting world that is going further and further and further and further away from the truth. Don't believe me. I hardly ever up here just pass political jargon to you, but this is true. Wherever you stand with the Equality Act, wherever you stand, just know this. This brought out in the the House of Representatives. One stood up from Florida and said, when we get away from the biblical values of God, we will receive the consequences and do punishment. We've got to get back to the law of the Lord. And in response, another politician stood up and says, it doesn't matter what religious law you're talking about. God's will has no place in this Congress. That is where we're living. That's where we're living. But Jesus taught about it. And he doesn't say just roll over and let them walk over you and stomp you and behead your children. Are you taking a stand for Christ? Friends, today, this week, if every single one of you emailed or wrote our two senators and told them that you expect them to do what is right and godly, What kind of difference would that be if 200 people from Blanchester did that? You can go on to uh, uh, Reverend Franklin Graham's website. You can go to other Christian resources. Now again, I don't know all the details about the Equality Act. And you know what? The foundation of it is practical to give every single person freedom to be who they think they are. But in doing so, they're stripping the rights of church and faith in proclaiming something different. So we need to pray for our Senate. We need to pray. We need to pray in love. I'm praying for this representative that he would meet with Jesus just like Paul the apostle did. Are you? I wanna see God, man, come through the White House. He can and he will. Getting off my notes. When we stand for truth, now hear me. When we stand for truth, that says God created human beings as male and female in gender, in his image at birth. And we hold marriage to be true. God-given institution and a sacred union between man and woman and not to be redefined by any amendments that would say otherwise, we will be persecuted. What I wanna say to others who disagree with me about sexuality, whether you're a believer or not, I want our church to be filled with people 
who are lost and broken, who are confused about their gender, who are in same-sex marriages. I want them to come and receive the love of Jesus. I want that. But that doesn't mean that we candy coat and dilute the gospel. When we stand for the Bible that says there is only one way to know God through the birth of Jesus, through the sinless life and his sacrificial substitutionary death and burial and resurrection and soon return to judge the living and the dead in a world that says all religions lead to the same place. All gods are the same, just different names. We will be persecuted. So the second question, how do we respond? This needs to go deep. How will you respond? An honest question is, I don't know. I sure hope the power of the Holy Spirit fills me. There's three points to this question. How should we respond? Number one, we should not be surprised when it comes. The New Testament warns us all over the place that it's coming. Jesus promises it. God promises it. In 2 Timothy 3, 12, this is a promise. Don't we love the promises of God? We want the promises of God. Well, get this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, me, will be persecuted. This will literally knock the fence sitters off the fence in the church. This is when the church shifts from being a spectator sport into a full-time ministry for every single person who calls themselves a child of God. We shouldn't be surprised. Number two, it's so foreign, but we should be glad and very glad. It says be glad, rejoice. The Greek word for glad is to be really, really, really glad. Followed by another glad. It means to leap for joy. What? Rejoice and be glad because it identifies and makes us remember that we are going to be rewarded in heaven. It means that when persecution comes, we shouldn't fight with everything we have and start kicking and spitting and pushing people away. It means we're gonna rejoice at the opportunities that we have through this. There's three points to why we should be glad. I understand it's foreign. I understand it doesn't make sense. I understand it is impossible to do without Christ doing it in us. Number one is it deepens our intimacy with Jesus. There is no other, no other way you can grow deeper in Christ than going through persecution for him. 
It will draw you closer to the heart of him when everyone else abandons you and you have no one else left. Teens, remember that. With peer pressure today, it's all about saving face and your appearance and what you say. Are you willing to lose friends over staying true to what Jesus says? Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to lose your family? Oh, I'm sorry, that's, I can't do that. No, I can't either. And God never asked us to do that, but he said for us to allow him to do it through us. This is heavy stuff. Philippians 3 verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Sign me up. But and I may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Can you imagine what would happen to our community if people began to live like that? So it deepens our intimacy with God. But it also gives us an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with the lost. People can come and see us worship here and be friends with the people who agree with us. But man, when they see you out in public in line or grocery line and someone starts criticizing you for your faith or how you're treating or speaking to someone else and they start to shame you, how you respond will show others who you are following. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 38, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but, anyone, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn with the other. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give the, to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Matthew 5, 43 says, love your enemies. There's no ifs or buts about it. There are no exceptions to it. Jesus didn't say like or agree with your enemies. He didn't say condone, condone their behavior. He said, love them. Love them. Who are your enemies? They're individuals who elicit anger and hatred and retaliation against you because of Jesus. You're to love them. You're called to reflect the love of Jesus and his attitude. This is how it looks. Jesus displayed it. He never taught anything he didn't model. When they were nailing him to the cross, and prior to it, when they were ripping flesh off of their back, off of his back, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, you love them, and me laying down my life is going to give them an opportunity to be changed and restored back to you. The Bible insinuates in this Greek passage that Jesus didn't just say it once while on the cross. He said it continually. It was a continual prayer. Father, forgive them. Am 
Father, forgive them. That's how we're supposed to live, friends. Yeah, it's hard. It's impossible. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's an accurate interpretation of that passage. It deepens our intimacy with God. It gives us an opportunity to love others. And it reminds us that this world is not our home. The moment that you start to be living in the perspective of this earth while you're living on it is the moment that you will miss the opportunities to live for the life that is coming. You are foreigners, according to the Bible, when you accept Christ's free gift to be a new creation, filled with his spirit, being a temple of God. You are called ambassadors of a heavenly kingdom. Jesus says in the chapter after the Beatitudes, store up treasures in heaven where moth or rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break it and steal wherever your treasure is, there your heart or the desires of your heart will be also. So I'm gonna end with the passage we began with and then end with a story and we'll worship. Go ahead and take a deep breath. It's a lot and just let it out. We shouldn't be surprised when it comes. We should be glad about it. Blessed, you know what blessed means? It's a deep, abiding, unshakable joy rooted in the assurance of God's blessings in this life and the next. Where are you rooted, friends? Matthew chapter five says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, insult you, shame you to silence and persecute you and utter all kinds of evils and lies against you falsely on Jesus's account. Rejoice and be glad, leap with joy for your reward is in heaven. There were five missionary men 64 years ago from America on January 8th, 1956. These five men between the ages of 27 and 32 were speared to death for trying to share the love of Jesus. They were trying to reach a violent indigenous Indian tribe in Ecuador with the gospel of Jesus. This tribe was dangerous and vicious and would kill anything and anyone that entered their territory in the jungle. These Huronian tribes of Indians were known for killing everything. What would cause these five men with families to willingly lay down their lives? And they didn't just stupidly fly in. They literally had different ways of flying over and sending gifts and sending material to let the tribe know what they were about. 
what would cause these five men to give their lives? Did they truly believe that their mission to reach this Indian tribe was worth risking everything? They absolutely did. These Indians have never heard the message of Jesus. They didn't have a Bible in their native language. They did not know. And these five men took the scripture seriously. The blessed are the feet that brings the good news to those who don't know the gospel. These Indians had never heard that Jesus loved them and sacrificed his life on the cross. These five men believed that this is exactly what Christ would do and what Christ was calling them to do. You may have heard the movie, End of the Spear. This is about these men. Watch it. Be humbled and learn what happens. So did these men die in vain? It may seem so. They didn't reach anyone. They just died when they first landed in the area. Did the Indians ever hear and receive the message about Jesus, which they gave their lives for? It actually turns out that these five men were not the only courageous, bold ones. Get this, guys. Following their deaths, their family members of these five men, including wives and children, lived in their village among the people who killed their husbands and their children, children's daddies. They lived there. They forgave them. They learned their ways and many of them gave their lives to Jesus, including the one, one of the murderers of the five men. And now, because of those faithful families willing to lay down everything, this village has the New Testament written in their native tongue. And out of the 500 of them, hundreds have come into a personal relationship with Jesus. As the band comes up, I wanna ask you, what are you willing to give up and lay down when people come against you for serving and loving and living Jesus? Are you willing to give up comfortability? This one's gonna hurt, but I've had to ask it myself. Are you willing to give up your free rights for the sake of Christ? I didn't say fight for them. And I didn't say have a voice. And I didn't say try to make a difference. And I didn't say speak out and teach the gospel. But if that's what you're consumed with, you are missing the point. Will we live and die for the life we're living right now or for the life that Jesus came to die to give us? What are you willing to lay down? Your jobs? Are we as a church willing to lay down this building? Are we willing to lay down our tax exempt status for staying true to the gospel of Jesus? We need to ask those questions. And the Bible says, 
to have an answer for every single one who asks about the hope that lives within you. If you walked out these doors right now and people asked you, why are you a Christian? Can you tell them? And if you can tell them, do you believe it with your life? Father, in Jesus' name, we just ask that you would do business with our hearts. That we would be so poor in spirit, we would mourn our sinful state and our broken world. That we would be humble and gentle and merciful and a peacemaker. God, would we be willing to take our cross and follow you, whatever the cost is. We can't do this without you, Jesus. We do this for you and you do it within us. Search our hearts, oh God. Make us pure and steadfast after you. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar, the front row is open. Come, get right with God. Do whatever you need to do to connect with him. If you're willing, please stand and worship with us. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly impact Bible study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.